I don't know about you, but that was a new ministry to me. I have not heard of that one. Excited to know that that exists and is thriving. Let's go before the Lord in prayer as we open up his word today. Father, we're so thankful for this body that we can come together and worship you and encourage each other and support each other in so many different ways. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way it teaches us and spurs us on to love and good deeds. We pray that you would speak to us today. We pray that we would have ears to hear what you want to say to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, marriage is a blessing from God. Can I get an amen? Now, before I make a second declaration, can I ask you to please try to make your next amen at least a little less enthusiastic than the first? Here we go. Marriage is hard. I don't know if we succeeded there or not. So here's a quote that even predates an old man like me. Mae West. Anybody remember Mae West? Mae West was an actress who worked in the first half of the 20th century. She famously said, marriage is a great institution, but I'm not ready for an institution yet. According to sociologists, marriage exists in some form in all societies. As Jeff Kohlinger so clearly showed us last week, The institution of marriage was established by God way back in week one of creation. Our culture continues to evolve on its thinking about marriage. We're now at a point where based on cultural standards and mores alone, we have to ask, why does anyone even get married anymore? Now, obviously, the church pushes back on that cultural trend based on the teaching laid out clearly in the Bible. But even within the Christian church as a whole, there have been compromises that have been made, allowing for divorce and remarriage in unbiblical circumstances, and objections made to the way even Christian marriages should work. One of the biggest objections revolves around this hot button word, which we will look at today. I'm sure you know the word I'm talking about. It is, of course, submission. When we think of the word submission, different ideas may come into your head. I think of movies where I've seen cowboys try to break horses. Riding them, falling off, riding, falling off, until eventually the horse 
submits to the rider. I think of a hypnotist hypnotizing his subject to the point where he can get said subject to do anything he commands. I think of an MMA fighter putting his opponent into a chokehold and compelling his opponent to tap out in submission. I even remember when I was a young boy getting into altercations with my little brother. I would sit on his torso with my knees on his arms and tap on his chest with increasing intensity until he finally submitted to my will. The trauma of being a little brother. But here's a problem with any and all of those pictures of submission. They do not in any way give an accurate picture of what true biblical submission is. So let's start out in the only way that makes sense in finding out what true biblical submission is by looking at the text of scripture. We are still in the book of Ephesians And today we will be looking at chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. Let's read that. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. As we look at this text today, I want to put a laser focus on that idea of submission. But in order to do that and get the proper picture of what the text is really saying, we will use this outline. It's going up on the screen. The first point, men are called by God to exercise biblical headship in Christian families. Secondly, women are instructed by God to submit to biblical headship within the Christian family. 
And third, God wants Christian marriage to model the love of Christ to the world. So as we dive into our text, we see that men are called by God to exercise biblical headship in Christian families. Verse 23 says, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Verse 25, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. And then verse 28, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. This idea of biblical headship can be a beautiful thing. But it can also be a dangerous thing. It can be a beautiful thing because it can be a picture of Christ's love for the church. It can be a dangerous thing because prideful men can turn it into something that it's not supposed to be. Headship involves first and foremost responsibility. Brian Chapel, in his book, Each for the Other, says, the man who is more concerned with how his wife should obey him than with how he should obey God fails the kindergarten of biblical headship. In the analogy in our text, husband is to Christ as wife is to church. The husband is to be Christ to his wife and family. Just as Christ gave himself up to make the church holy, radiant, and blameless, the physical and spiritual well-being of the wife and children is the responsibility of the husband, even to the point of personal sacrifice. When the Apostle Paul says in our text, husbands, love your wives, he has in mind no doubt the definition of love he gives in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. When men take seriously their responsibility to sacrificially love their wives, it makes the wives' role not only doable, but even joyfully satisfying. Headship includes the authority to lead. Biblical headship uses authority to ensure the good of others. Verse 23 says, the husband is the head of the wife. Now, I know that isn't received well in our culture. But the Bible clearly gives the husband the most authority in the family. This authority comes, though, with strings attached. God's call to exercise authority in the family exists only to the extent that it reflects Christ's nature and purposes. 
That one's worth repeating. Here it is again. God's call to exercise authority in the family exists only to the extent that it reflects Christ's nature and purposes. That can be true for a Christian or even a non-Christian husband, according to 1 Peter 3.1. Headship that does not reflect God's purposes loses God's approval. A wife has no obligation to submit to her husband when he demands that she disobey God. This issue is very similar to one I deal with occasionally with Christian kids who have non-Christian parents. The question comes up, do I have to obey my non-Christian parents? And the answer is, Yes, unless in obeying them, you must disobey God. Next, note that headship is never dictatorial. Colossians 3.19 says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Prideful men must deal with the temptation to distort and trivialize biblical headship. I've heard horror stories of men who have abused the idea of biblical headship to bully and lord over their wives in ways that made him out to be nothing short of a dictator. No husband has the right to take the place of God. The Ten Commandments say you shall have no other gods before me. So rather, biblical headship will almost always include discussion, often include disagreement and compromise, and sometimes include a change of direction on the husband's part after prayerfully considering the wise input of his wife. Moving on. Our second point today is that women are instructed by God to submit to biblical headship within the Christian family. What does that look like? I'd like to give you two lists today of what biblical submission is and what it is not. So let's look at those lists. First, what biblical submission is. The purpose of biblical submission is becoming one flesh through the completing of one another. Our marriages are complementarian. My wife, Nicole, completes me. Now it's interesting that she got sick on the day I was teaching on submission, (laughs) but... uh, We'll give her the benefit of the doubt, I guess. As Nicole offers up her spiritual gifts and who she is to our marriage, she completes me. Sometimes that means making me better in areas where I'm adequate. And other times it means covering for me where I'm really weak. Some of you may remember a story I've told before 
about a mission trip, my mission trip to Haiti many years ago when the interpreter who was traveling with us asked to see a picture of my wife. Grabbing hold of the picture and quickly taking a second glance at me, he blurted out, you ugly for her. That's a funny story, but the truth is, I couldn't agree more. But being made one flesh with my beautiful bride has made me much more beautiful as she's helped me to become more like my Savior. Number two, biblical submission recognizes that God has given two equal partners in marriage different roles. Galatians 3.28 says, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. But being equal does not mean that we cannot have different roles. We know that the Son of God was equal with the Father, and yet he had submitted himself to the Father. And in case you didn't notice or have forgotten, Ephesians 5.21, the verse right before our text, says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This doesn't in any way lessen the instruction to women to submit, but it does remind us that men too are often instructed to submit within the normal life and activity of the church out of reverence for Christ. Submission isn't a thing that's exclusive for wives to do. It's something all Christians should do. Each of us is called to sacrifice whatever gifts, rights, or authority he or she has in service to others for the sake of the kingdom of God. Number three, biblical submission is a response to biblical headship. And in that respect, it is first and foremost a response of obedience to God. Number four, biblical submission is a wife fulfilling her role as helper in a marriage. Genesis 2.18 tells us that when woman was created, she was created as a helper for man. Thank God, because some of us men really need that help. So now let's take a look at a different list, a list of what submission is not. I really want to make this as clear as we possibly can today with the what it is, what it's not. We're going to look at a, 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 an example. But here we go. Submission is not agreeing on everything. Newsflash. Nicole and I disagree all the time. Husbands and wives can disagree on any number of things. 
the education of their children, whether or not to move, where to go to church, how to allocate money in the budget, whether to have another child. And none of these things are determined by the Bible. But when I put value on Nicole disagreeing and listen to it and evaluate it in light of what I believe God is saying to me, then oftentimes her disagreeing is a tool that God uses to help me see that I wasn't discerning correctly. Good leadership often says, you were right and I was wrong. Number two, submission does not mean you do not try to influence your husband. He needs your input. You are his helper. Number three, submission is not putting the will of the husband before the will of Christ. We touched on this earlier. There should never be a time where a wife does something in submission to her husband that is contrary to the will of God. Number four, submission does not mean getting all her spiritual strength through her husband. Again, some of us have heard or even seen the stories of controlling husbands who won't let their wives sit under any influence other than his own. Well, the source of any and all of the spiritual strength of a wife is God. And some of it may occasionally come through her husband. Number five, submission does not mean living or acting in fear. Love does not provoke fear. So let's get practical and look at an example. This example I found on a website called Ask the Pastor. It's rather lengthy. I'm just going to read it to you. Consider a a husband and a wife who are having a disagreement. They're thinking about where to send their children to school. They both want to send their children to a private Christian school, but they don't agree on which private school It should be. She wants the children to go to the one that has lots of extracurricular activities, including sports and music, so that the children can have a well-rounded education and social experience. He agrees with that. But the other school is cheaper. And their children are still too young to participate in the extra activities. He believes it's wise to send the children to a school that's just as academically rigorous, but doesn't have the extracurricular activities. This school would be less expensive while they're young, and they can reconsider the other school when the children are older. The wife is concerned that changing schools would be a difficult adjustment and would rather the children go to the more expensive school from the beginning. The husband and wife take 
several weeks thinking through it. They crunch the family's budget numbers. They talk about the philosophy of education. And they talk specifically about each of their children. They both really want what is best for their kids. But at the end of the day, they just can't agree. Sounds very real world. I remember similar situations in my own life. It goes on. They just can't agree. So the wife submits to her husband and she obeys him willingly from the heart. Important words there. He didn't demand that she do it. She submitted to her husband because she loves Jesus. And even though she's afraid of some of the consequences of her husband's decision, she trusts that God is in control and Christ is ruling all things so she doesn't have to be afraid. And their marriage is unified and she doesn't complain about the choice her husband made. They are still unified and they continue in Christ under grace. I like that example. That's, that's real world stuff. And that's what submission should look like. Our third and final point today is that the clear teaching of this passage is that Christian marriage models for the world the relationship between Christ and the church. Look at verses 31 and 32. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. The mystery is that marriage is a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. Verse 24 speaks to the wife about her half of the metaphor when it says, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to everything, submit in everything to their husbands. The message to wives is, find your role as a wife by looking at the way the church relates to Christ. As the church submits to the headship of Christ, so a wife should submit to the headship of her husband. And in so doing, listen to this, you will model the blessings of relationship to Christ to the world. Now let's look at the other half of the metaphor. Verses 23 and 25 speak to the husband. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So as Christ leads and loves the church, men are called to lead and love their wives and thus model to the world the blessing of living under the lordship and sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. Historically, and for that matter, still today, on some level, 
Marriage has given stability to society. We're experiencing today the effects of the diminishing commitment to marriage in our society and on the stability of our society as a whole. The biblical model of a Christian marriage is becoming more rare all the time. And I believe as it becomes more rare, its witness will become that much more powerful. You can have a powerful witness in our community through your marriage. If we can model for the world the love of Christ, the most sacrificial and unconditional love ever known, it will be attractive to them. They will know we are Christians by our love as modeled through biblical marriages and families. John 13.35 alludes to this. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Let's make our marriages a witness to our community. I started my message today by saying that marriage is hard, but it's also a blessing. I close with a scenario painted by John Piper as he contemplated the later years of his life with his wife, Noel. Piper says, I want you to imagine you're now 75 years old. You have gray hair, and your skin's all wrinkled. She's not as shapely anymore, and you're not shapely anymore. You're sitting across from each other at a little restaurant on the shores of Lake Superior, and outside, Little birds are jumping between the bushes. Little waves are rippling. The sun is shining. And you're looking at each other across this table at age 75. Don't you want to be able to look into her eyes at age 75? With tears perhaps running down your face. Say, we made it. We made it. Piper's quote continues, but for him, today, he's already there. So I want to steal his words and make them mine. It goes on. I want that more than $10 million. I want to look into my wife's eyes, even when I'm 75, which is very close. It feels very close. I want to look into her eyes and say, Nicole, it was hard at times. I'm very glad that you're here and I'm here. We made it. That will be sweet. It will be worth it all. It will be worth it all to be able to say in ripe old age, we made it. I want to pray now for our marriages 
that we will all be able to say we made it. Let's pray. God, you are so good. We thank you so much for giving us husbands and wives to go through life with. Lord, we pray that you would help us to have the kind of marriages that are a strong witness to our community, that model for others the love of Christ. Father, we know there are marriages that are struggling right now in this room. There are others that wish they were married in this room. We pray for all of them. We pray that you would use each one of us in our situation that you've put us in. Help us to trust you in it. Help us to just be all that you've called us to be so that we can be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. To honor you with our lives and with our marriages. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.